Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj Show. Once again, super excited to be here. And this is actually going to be the first recording of 2021. So hopefully this is going to be a great year. Needless to say, it's been a tough year for everyone when we talk about 2020. So let's start off the new year on a good note. I have amazing guests today, and that's right, everyone. I kind of said guests, plural, because I got two amazing women, you know? So let me kind of say a little something about them before we kind of do the introduction. So I want to do something that represents a Dr. Rod show, which is down to earth. It's not all about dorky medicine. It's about being human and, of course, trying to get a good message out there. So I am very fortunate to work with two amazing respiratory therapists. And the problem is I can't separate them because they come as a package deal. And I'll be the first person to say that, you know, when I come to work in the morning, these are probably the two most important people, fun people I like to interact with. We like joking with each other. Yes, we like teasing each other. We give each other hard times. But I think that they have a very unique perspective when it comes to treating patients with obstructive sleep apnea, because I always say that my job is the easiest. Ah, just uh, go get a sleep study. But they're the ones who are hands-on with the patients. And another reason why I love these two so much is because I'm going to let everyone in on a secret. Every time Dr. Raj goes on TV, I do practice. And these two are my two favorite practice buddies in the whole world. And I make them listen to me, (laughs) whether they like it or not. So they're amazing. And so I'm going to introduce you guys now. One is going to be Chelsea. Do you want to say hello over there? Hi, everyone. Lily, you want to say hello? Hi, everyone. All right. So we're going to do um, Chelsea first. And Lily, you're going to chime in. So, I, you know, I told them to give me their their resume, but they just want me to ask some questions. They're going to do the answering on this. So, hey, Chelsea, where did you grow up? I grew up actually in the San Gabriel Pasadena area, so I'm local. Cool. And where did you go to college? So I actually went locally to Cal State LA. Nice. Yeah, Uh I originally majored in psychology there, and here I am doing something different. Well, let me just take a step back. How does one go into psychology, then suddenly say, you know, I like the lungs better, and let me help people breathe? I just don't see the connection there, Chelsea. What would happen? Um, so I got into psychology. I graduated. I worked at a psych hospital for a little bit and I realized that I wanted a more hands-on approach than what I was doing. So then it kind of went, am I going to go into nursing? That was something I was considering. And then, um, respiratory therapy. I had actually some friends that were in respiratory therapy. They were respiratory therapists and they talked to me a lot about it. And my grandma actually got diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, which yeah, I didn't understand a lot about it at the time. And so, you know, as I talked more and realized that maybe I didn't want to actually pursue nursing, but I wanted a more hands-on approach, 
respiratory therapy came up and I just became more interested in learning about the lungs and the heart. And I like that. that. Now, you yeah. know, respiratory therapy is actually very broad if people don't know that. And there are so many places in the hospital we need you, especially now during COVID-19. So why sleep medicine? Don't get me wrong. I am so pumped that you are one of my sleep respiratory therapists. But how did you choose sleep instead of, per se, being in the ICU or doing outpatient or focusing on a disease like cystic fibrosis? How did you make that decision? Well, to be honest, uh, initially, it was the first job that I got out of school. (laughs) Um, that's the real story there. Um, but I ended up as I got into it, I actually became very fascinated with sleep and kind of, cause it is so broad. So Mm -hmm. feeling like I was good at something and learning so much every day about it and learning the implications and uh, of everything of the sleep disorders out there, I, I got more drawn to it and I felt more comfortable and I feel very knowledgeable in it. And I, I find sleep very fascinating. And not to mention, rumor has it there, uh, Chelsea, that you yourself think that you have sleep apnea. Is, is that a true rumor? That is a true rumor. <laughs> yes, and I snore. Told, and someone told me that you go around with your, your, your snoring on a cell phone and throw it in <laughs> doctor's faces. Is that, is that possible? That may be possible. Yes. <laughs> yes. I may have asked you that. <laughs> All right, let, let me let me talk to Lily. Um, Lily, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Pasadena, Pasadena Doherty area. Um, I moved to Doherty right around middle school. Also went to school locally. I was at Citrus and um, got my associate's degree there. Was going to start working on my bachelor's, and then um, same thing. Chelsea and I actually started school at the same time. Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. You both went to respiratory <laughs> therapist. Yeah, we went to RT school together. Yeah. yeah. We both uh, worked at the psych hospital. I worked oh. at the psych hospital most of my life, actually. Okay. I started working there when I was like 16, and I, I was there for like 15, 16 years. And uh, actually, that story is a little bit funnier than uh, what Chelsea led to. We were actually on our way back from Vegas um, in a car full of respiratory therapists, and uh, we expressed that we wanted to do something different. We wanted to kind of get out of the psych field and like Chelsea said, be a little bit more hands-on in the health field. And um, they painted a picture of RT and we decided to go for it. And we actually went to school together. So we've been stickies for a long time. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, and I got to tell you, Lily, how do you go from, you know, psychiatry, psychology, and, you know, how, how did you switch the brain and emotions and depression, anxiety to let me enjoy the lungs? I mean, was it well, just... I was in a different field than than like patient care inside. I did more, more of the administrative portion of it. Okay. Um, still very involved with patients and whatnot, but it was the same thing. It was kind of like we had, I had reached a point where, where am I going to go from here? Like what more is there? I was an assistant business office manager at the psych hospital and I was like, well, I'm not going to do much more. So what's next? So it kind of just came down to that and I needed to to do something else. And so now, once again, I love that you're here with me doing sleep medicine. So of all the broad things that a respiratory therapist can do, why sleep? Well, again, it was my first job. <laughs> you guys are hilarious. <laughs> but this is the thing. 
thing. Nobody tells you when you're in school, when you get out of school, nobody tells you like, hey, also when you go apply for a job, they're going to ask you how many years have you worked in an ICU or an ER and your response Mm -hmm. is going to be zero because I just got out of school. So it's really hard for someone to give you a chance. You know, you have to get really lucky. And so we we really just got our we got our license and we just kind of wanted to start doing literally anything. So we ended up in sleep, but it actually did become you know, it has become our career. So let me ask both of you this question. I mean, I'll be the first to say that, you know, I love all my respiratory therapists and even if they're yelling at me or they don't trust me or they give better advice, I think they're amazing. They've been so great during this pandemic. And even my outpatient respiratory therapists, they have so much experience. So my question to both of you is, you know, for people in the field, when they're going to graduate, what advice do you give them so they can make a decision of what part of pulmonary medicine they want to go into? What is some advice you'd give these people? It's really hard to say. Be really persistent. I mean, if that's kind of like, if you know you want to go into the ICU or an ER, just continue to apply for those positions. It might take a little bit longer. Um, With us, I think it was like a different dynamic that ended up playing, like the role that sleep ended up playing in our lives because we actually both got really into it. It was a lot more interesting than what we initially thought it was going to be, we said, okay, we're going to go into sleep, be here for a year and then start, you know, start getting jobs and ICU, ER, blah, 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 blah. That didn't happen. But we ended up at USC. Fight on, man. (laughs) I don't think that we expected to like sleep as much as we did. It was definitely just going to be a transitioning point. But to answer the question about what I would tell them is if you're really interested in now it's kind of different with COVID going on. There's a lot more jobs out there right now if somebody's newly graduating. But um, I would definitely say volunteer. And I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, volunteer at these places so they know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, make yourself known when you're going to these hospitals for your clinicals. Jill's yeah. great advice there. Now, I'm going to give just uh, one extra shout out to Lily so everyone knows. Uh, Lily, I know for a fact that you recently had a wedding. Congratulations yes, on being you. married. How does it feel that you're part of the team, that you're part of the marriage team? It feels great, actually. It feels um, good. It's different, but it's it's good. Really so good. I, I know you're just dying to talk about your husband snoring, but can we hold off on that for a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, oh, yeah, I can see it. I don't, I don't yeah. see you. I feel that little anger inside when I talk about that snoring, you know? <laughs> but, you know, um, cute. So, so everyone, you know, I, I asked, uh, you know, uh, Chelsea and Lily, what, what, what do they want to talk about today? And they were great. You know, I wish we had video here. They had this whole tight piece of paper up. They were so professional, you know. I want to talk about a couple of things. So um, what is the story behind the story? You know, when many people have obstructive sleep apnea, the reflex treatment is always CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure. And, you know, once again, it's easy for me to say, hey, use, some, use the mask, here's your CPAP. You know, Chelsea, what is your, what, what do you feel is the the main reaction when you see the first time patient who gets diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea and they have to wear the mask, what is their initial, you know, are they shocked? Are they upset? I mean, what do you, what do you see in the trenches? Mostly I would say that they're shocked. You know, you have a few people that are kind of desperate. 
out there and, and wanted and have heard about it, but I think it's mostly shock that they have to wear this Darth Vader looking like <laughs> mask on their yeah. face. I mean, they're just like, you expect me to wear that? Well, how do you okay. keep on going, Chels? How, how do you address that then? Let's say uh, I'm the patient. You want me to look like Kylo Ren, another Star Wars character. Uh, what can you do for me, Chelsea? I try to explain to them because one pushback I get is, well, I've been sleeping this way my whole life. So I stop breathing at night. That's not the biggest deal. I'm still here. I'm standing. Um, my own grandfather actually said the same thing. And um, my response is the, impl- the health implications, which I want to divert back to you, but there are, I think it's very underdiagnosed, unfortunately. And most people think that I just live this way. They blame it on busy lifestyles. And I, I think learning the health implications. So that's what I try to explain is, you know, that it can cause AFib, that nice. it can cause high blood pressure, diabetes. Yep. I mean, the many different things. So, okay, you're okay right now, but in 10 years, you may develop a heart issue. No, I like that. And, you know, and I'll, I'll say this to both of you, that you stole one of my techniques. I think that what's the long game and the short game is everyone always asks, can you die from, you know, untreated obstructive sleep apnea? The answer is sure. I mean, not being treated means like being sleep deprived and you can just crash on the highway. But the other side is the long game. And I think, Chelsea, you said it great. Atrial fibrillation, high blood pressure, poorly controlled blood sugars, Lily, what about you? What, how do you address it when someone comes in and, you know, and they're shocked that they can't wear the mask? And, and let me ask you another question on top of that, which is what mask do you offer them? Who gets a full face? Who gets a nasal pillow? Sure. So same thing. I try to do like a, a in simple terms explanation for patients. Um, usually I go with the good old, you're not getting oxygenation when you sleep and that's mm-hmm. working your heart muscle they tend to like respond well to that because unfortunately I'm not no judgment towards the MDs, but it is kind of, it does take a long time to sit there with the patient and explain exactly, Hey, this is what you're doing to your heart. This is how you're wasting that good muscle. You know, don't do that to yourself. Um, so it's more of explaining like the health issues that are going to come along in 10 years. Some of our patients, we do get patients who are in their late twenties, early thirties, and you know, they're young, they're strong. And, they think, you know, I have a busy lifestyle. I go to school. I, I work full time. I have, you know, I'm married. I have kids. It just, this, it just is what it is. But if they, I always tell them this, do you want to watch your kids grow up? You want to, you know, be able to see your grandchildren. It, it is like Chelsea said, it's very underrated. Let me ask you this and interrupt you. Like, so who is the biggest pain in the behind? Is it usually the the young folk that come in there who, or is it kind of the, the old, uh, older patients who are like, you know what? I live this 80 years without something like this. Who gives you the most problem there? It uh, actually goes both ways because we do have the older generation that will tell us, Hey, I've, I'm 70 years old. I've never had any, you know, I've never had to sleep with a mask on my face. And all of a sudden you want me to put this mask and not only put this mask on, it's going to push pressure down my, my throat. Basically we get pushback from them. And we also get pushback from younger people too. Chelsea actually has a good story about this. So I did a CPAP visit a couple of weeks ago and the patient had her CPAP for two years and only used it for a week, but now it is really bothering her again. And I asked her, why did you not use it for, you know, the first two years? And she said, well, to be honest with you, 
I was dating somebody <laughs> and I did not want them to see this mask on my face and know that I had sleep apnea. I was completely embarrassed. She said, you know, now I've been with this guy for two years and I feel comfortable or comfortable. So I'm okay with him knowing that now. But at the time, that was not good. <laughs> so, so Chelsea, how, what was your reaction when you heard this story? Did you have to play the, I understand, you know what I mean? Or did you? Absolutely. Definitely. Because I, I actually do understand, you know, that would, I understand for the younger people mm-hmm. um, or even females. females. Yeah. That's, you know, it's kind of more, you attach that to a male. So mm-hmm. being a female and, you know, having to do that is difficult. So I told her, I, I can't understand that, but I tried to tell her, Hey, but you will feel so much better. You're not going to be exhausted every day. You're going to be able to enjoy your time with this partner. And she actually said the snoring's driving him nuts. So I said, well, would you rather be a snorer or, and it's, it sucks because it's socially acceptable. I think for males to snore and it's socially (laughs) acceptable for them to have to go get a CPAP, but you know, women do react a little bit differently. It's like, that, that is true. And I'm, I'll tell you a quick uh, little thing that I felt in my years doing, you know, seeing sleep patients that, it always seems that anytime, you know, the, the wife is snoring, the husband's always so quick to report them to, uh, uh-huh. to the sleep doctor. <laughs> they just can't wait, you know, but uh, let me, let me ask you, uh, both Lily or Chelsea, let me give me, give some advice to uh, the men out there who have obstructed sleep apnea who are single. So let's say there's a make-believe patient who's 40, 45 years of age, you know, on that dating wagon, trying to find the right person to commit to. And they finally find someone and, how would you suggest they bring the, the the CPAP device in the bedroom? Is there a is there a is there a way to do it? I mean, I don't do think there's it? a I don't think there's going to be a sexy way to do it. I think the more educated <laughs> you are on your health, the more you're going to be able to tell this person, hey, also like, you know, I have sleep apnea, and actually, you know, like be upfront with your health issues. You can't just cause your health issues just because you don't want to look like dark finger. <laughs> well, let me get this straight, Lily. So your your advice, and Chelsea chime in here, you know, Lily, you're saying day one, even if you're on first base still with the kissing, bring out the CPAP machine. If they're spending the night, bring out your CPAP machine. First night. All right. Wow. If they're spending the night, if they're spending the night, if they're okay. not spending the night, then they don't have to know what you put on your face when you go to sleep. <laughs> All right. Chelsea, do you agree? First, first spend the night, take out the CPAP machine, put the mask I'm on. I'm going to I'm going to say hook them in for a couple months, maybe make sure that, that you get that hook and that they're really into you after a couple months. And then but what do you do? You don't wear your seat. It, it, it's, it's a tough call, you know, it, it is. It's tough. You shouldn't. So hopefully they're not living with you at this point and you can skip it first couple times and then be like, you know, and then the, I think you do have to be honest. You you cannot sneak a CPAP into the bedroom. No, you yes, got I, I think that, you know, the hard part is finding that sweet spot because I feel like, and now that Lily's part of the marriage, Aussie, that, you know, many things just come out after you're married. You know what I mean? Next thing you know, uh, you're passing gas in front of your loved one, <laughs> and, you know, and then next thing you know, where, where did the CPAP mask come from? So I do believe there has to be a point where you start revealing these things. It's not after you've, you know, done your, your vows that you bring all the things out there, but 
if you ladies can think of a good way to bring it out there, I'd love to, uh, <laughs> I'd love to share I'm that sure. with all the listeners. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, now, what about this? Uh, you two answer me this. I don't care who answers. What about for my patients who are claustrophobic? What do you, what do you tell them? We definitely try to avoid a full face mask for the patients that are claustrophobic. And I have noticed even, you know, doing the sleep studies at night, the full face mask for people that are claustrophobic is just too much. And they even sometimes get panic attacks when you put it on them. I've had that happen. Nasal pillows, I think, is the best thing we can try for somebody that has that because it's small. Even the nasal mask sometimes is too much for somebody that is claustrophobic. So I think that nasal pillows are the best answer for a CPAP user that is claustrophobic. Now, are there some patients that may still be a little claustrophobic, even with a nasal mask or pillows? They still may have that, unfortunately. And one good piece of advice, I think, that we give out during our CPAP visits and for education with it is Mm -hmm. to try to wear the mask while you are awake for two hours. Yeah. Watching TV. TV, reading a book, knitting, yep. whatever your hobby is to okay. awake and alert. You adjust that way your brain and your body gets used to this foreign mask on your face and this pressure. pressure. So should we put a part of our dialogue, Chelsea, when you're watching The Mandalorian, uh, please yeah. wear the mask? Yes. So okay. the only thing that kind of sucks about about our claustrophobic patients, though, yes. is, yes. is their mouth breathers. And you had asked mm-hmm. earlier what kind of masks we recommend. Yeah, so yeah, when yeah. they're mask, when they're mouth breathers and they're claustrophobic, um, we do have a new mask. The, uh, it's called, it's called an F30. And an F30. It, how do you describe an F30 so podcast? It, <laughs> so, okay. So it doesn't like a full face mask will hover over the bridge of your nose. It's kind of okay. like a big triangle. It covers your nose and your mouth. The F30 will not hover over the bridge of your nose. It kind of lies like on your nostrils and then it does cover your mouth. But I have had some patients tell me, you know what, this is a, it, I don't feel so yeah. trapped like a full face mask that's covering from the be- from the bridge of your nose and all around your mouth. And I don't think oh. when we uh-huh. started sleep, that was actually an option. So it was kind of just like you have a full face mask, you have a nasal mask or pillows. And it's, this is kind of a great in between that, you know, it feels too, the full face mask is too bulky. And I could see how somebody would actually really feel claustrophobic with that. This is definitely less invasive. Okay. Feeling. Now, either or expand on this. You wrote down on uh, my little list of things to talk about shutting off the power. So is the fear more of the patient, like pulling out the cord? Is it the fear of this, the power shutting off? What have the patients told you? What do you mean by that? So this was actually my mom. Oh, who, be a good story already. <laughs> yeah. Who, um, I was like, you have sleep apnea. Like I know this from living with you in the past. Like you definitely have sleep apnea. And she's like, well, I don't want to go get a CPAP machine because I'm afraid if the power shuts off at night that I'm going to just die, that I'm going to suffocate basically. And so I had to, and then I come to find out as I worked in it, that other people have this feeling too, that they're scared if the power were to go off. And I've actually had people tell me, well, my CPAP shut off and I felt like I was going to suffocate. And so I do explain that that is not the case, that there is safety measures in place and that will not happen. And luckily I have to report my mom is now a CPAP user. Oh, she is a CPAP user. Yes. Oh, she's going to love this podcast. 
Hi, mom. How are you? <laughs> so I I like this next question. Uh, Lily, you can you can start off. Uh, Chelsea, chime in. People think they're getting oxygen versus pressure. Now I like that because you know when, like I said, my pet peeve is I'm giving you CPAP, and I try to explain that CPAP is the way we're delivering this pressure. It's not the mask. But many people still have a misconception of really is it oxygen? Is it pressured air? Is that a common thing that you are hearing, Lily? And how do you address that that question? It's very common, and to be honest with you, sometimes. People just love the fact, the idea of getting oxygen. Um, <laughs> they are all about it. So I will have to admit sometimes there's just, even if you try to explain pressure, they're like, oh, the oxygen. I'm like, sure, why not? The oxygen. I mean, <laughs> you try to correct them, but I, I even think we once had a patient that was using oxygen, his mother's oxygen for his sleep apnea because he was like, well, that's what you give when that's the treatment for it. And I was like, no, you cannot just be giving yourself oxygen. It's pressure, pressure it's, that's opening up right your airway. Um, yep. But they, people love to hear that it's oxygen, but yes, a lot of people do believe that it's. And, you know, you know, from a physician standpoint, you know, we definitely have patients who not only require a CPAP device, the pressure, but have oxygen on top of that. Yeah, and right. trying to convey what you're talking about, it, it gets a little confusing. I mean, I, I don't know if you if you feel that also. It can. It, it definitely does. Um, and, you know, I think it's a really tough thing to explain. There is just kind of a, I think some doctors just prescribe the CPAP um, mm-hmm. to the patients and they don't really understand what they are getting yeah. or the process of it. No, I, I agree. I think that, you know, some diseases, and I think, you know, Chelsea, you mentioned atrial fibrillation, you know, uh, untreated obstructive sleep apnea is such a huge risk factor is that many doctors will just order a sleep study because that's part of their workup. Don't really explain what a sleep study is, and uh-oh, patient hits the jackpot, has severe sleep apnea, and all of a sudden you put a mask in their hand, they're like, what's going on? Yeah. So what's one thing that you feel can help out in patient education? Is it, is, it, is it spending more time? Is it having videos available to them? Anything you feel that we could do, we meaning not just me, but just healthcare in general when it comes to obstructive sleep apnea? Absolutely. I think that taking more time to explain and maybe just a simple video, but I think that you're absolutely right about a, a cardiologist ordering a sleep study. The patient had what? I'll be like, why are you here? And they're like, I don't know, like cardiologists that maybe, yeah. But I think that we need to figure out a simple way Mm -hmm. to explain how harsh untreated sleep apnea really is. Yeah, I I think that, again, patients don't understand. Well, I have AFib. I have AFib, so I don't understand why my doctor's sending me here. Oh, it's related. Yeah, they don't understand the, the relationship. Well, tell me this, you know, I think one of the main things about sleep apnea is about being compliant, you know, and I'll definitely say easier said than done. In your, both of your opinions, what do you hear is the, what do you think is the main reason why patients aren't compliant? What do they reveal to you when I'm not around? Lack of education is going to be one, especially. lack of education after all. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That is the number one biggest issue I have when we get these patients for our CPAP clinic. It's just shocking what they believe or what they just have no idea that they have in their hands. Even simple things like the way 
we watch them put on their mask and, yeah. and we're like, okay, well, that's why it's not comfortable. <laughs> um, it could be that, that plain and that simple. Um, so you guys tell me, so one thing I, I'm very proud about, you know, here at our sleep center here at USC is that we do have a CPAP clinic that's run by you two amazing people. So give me a quick rundown. What, what do my patients get? What should, what do we have in our, our CPAP clinic? What do you do to make my patients more compliant and healthier? They come in and um, we talk to them. First of all, we try to get a little bit of background. We try to ask them, give us a little bit of information as far as like, what is it that you don't like about the CPAP? We like to start there first because a lot of the times it ends up being the mask. Um, more times than, than not, it ends up being the mask. When these prescriptions are sent out to these companies for the patients to get their CPAPs, um, they get sent a mask. Sometimes it's not the right fit. And one of the great things about a CPAP visit is that we actually try on three to four different masks. Okay. Um, and it could be a full face. It could be a combination of full face, a, a nasal mask, and they like having those options. So okay. that's one of the biggest things. Um, we kind of are able to mess around a little bit with our pressures and, okay. and see, you know, we do a mask fit to see this is a, as high as your pressure is going to go. Can you tolerate it with this specific mask? Okay. Now can you tolerate it with this different mask? So that oh, when no. the patient gets to know, okay, this is what I can tolerate with this mask with mask A, and then it doesn't feel as comfortable with mask B, but it's okay with mask C. So interesting. So let me ask you this. I'm going to interrupt you because I have a clinical yeah. question. So let's say someone's on a fixed CPAP of, I'll make up a number, a pressure of 10. So you take that pressure of 10 and put them on a nasal mask then a full face mask then a nasal pillow and see which one of those he or she tolerates better. Is that what you That's do? Correct. That's correct. We do, we do that. We also, if, they have had any compliance, which sometimes they have. We pull up their compliance report. And if, for example, if it were an auto pop, we try to see, okay, you're on four to 20, but you only use your max is eight that you've ever used. So let's go ahead and kind of pull the variation of that pressure down okay. and, and try to make it more from. tolerable for you. Also adding ramp times, sometimes taking away the EPR. That's been an interesting thing that I've been doing lately and trying well, to. You know, Chelsea, Chelsea, you're, you're forgetting that <laughs> you, you're using a lot of words that are going over. Head. Like, I mean, what is an auto path and what is an EPR? I know what it is, but Chelsea, can you explain to the audience what are the things you're talking about? So a ramp time or sorry, an auto pop is what you asked. Um, and ramp. Give me all three. Oh, wow. Okay. So in autopop, um, people, their airway, everybody's airway is different and unique and everybody requires a different amount of pressure. So that pressure, when we give an autopop, we can give that range from four to 20 and your it will basically adjust to your airway if it senses you stop breathing and increase that pressure. Nice. Yep. That's right. Autopop. What about this ramp? What's a ramp? So a ramp time is something that we sometimes put on to help people adjust to CPAP. And so say that it takes, for example, somebody a half an hour to fall asleep. So I will put that ramp time on for 45 minutes, which means that it's going to stay at, say, I said it the lowest pressure till four mm -hmm. so that it gives them time to fall into a deep sleep before the pressure increases or adjusts to their airway. And people okay. love that. Did you love that because it's when they get their machine sent to them, it's not a setting that um, is set um, unless the doctor specifies 
and it's always just it's on it's on auto so it'll turn it'll the machine will do it even when it feels like it needs to but when we set it so yeah. it's set for 45 minutes they love the 45 they minutes love the 45 minutes yeah it'll stay at the very low pressure of, uh, the lowest pressure for 45 minutes it really that's been a huge it thing has. It's, a, it's especially for new C, yeah for new cpap users yeah. because they they don't mind getting the pressure but they don't want a lot of pressure right so yeah, yeah it's been a saving grace here well, and let me throw one thing out there, you know, from a clinical standpoint, you know, what really has a, a lot of strong data for compliance is that humidifier. All right. Are we on board here, girls? About oh, yeah. The importance of the humidifier. Let me ask you this. Do most patients know what the humidifier is? Do they know what type of water to put in the humidifier? No, unfortunately, <laughs> they do not. Um, some of them have no idea. They don't even know they can put water in it or what it's for or the heated tubing that it sometimes comes with. They have no idea what that is either. So, so you you guys tell me what type of water should uh should the patients use? The distilled water. Yes, exactly. You know, it's just amazing that, you know, in my opinion, and just correct me if I'm wrong, distilled water is because you don't want to damage the machine itself. You're not going to blow up the machine if you use tap water or or anything else, but, you know, it really is distilled waters that should be used. And it really just helps out, you know, with that air, you know, just, it makes it more comfortable. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a huge part right there. I agree with you. I'll, and see, that's why it's, it's great to see them in person, to be able to go over all of that stuff. We from literally the go over every, all of these things that we just discussed in a CPAP visit. And I, I feel very, we both feel very satisfied when patients leave our CPAP visits because they literally look at us and they're like, wow, thank you. Like none of this made sense until right now. So, no, and I hear great comments. And and how long do you, my patients get to hang out with you too? 45 minutes, an hour, yeah, sometimes no. an hour and a half. It, really, it varies. It varies. Oh, really? Now who's going to, I like this statement. It was kind of like a bullet point, but someone, the statement was they, they had an experience where Someone had sleep apnea and the patient was using their son's mask. <laughs> Wait, can, can, you, can you explain to me what this bullet point is? Yes. So this was during a CPAP visit and the patient came in and said that she did not like the full face mask that they had originally given her from the DME and that she's like, well, this mask works so much better. It was her son's asthma mask for breathing treatments. Oh, no. Yeah. And I was like, this is not a mask that you should be using. She's like, well, it feels great. I'm like, you're not even getting any of the pressure. So, of course, I look and her leak is ridiculously high. So, the leak, of course, meaning that the pressure is escaping from there for those that don't know. So, yeah. So, her leak was high. She was not getting any of this pressure she needed at night to even treat her sleep apnea because she was using a breathing treatment mask. But the important thing here is that she was content with her mask. She was. <laughs> she was at the time. So, Take away. So we had to explain why that was not a viable option for her. <laughs> so, you know, I want to ask a couple more questions. So uh, I'll ask this question to both of you. Since you're you're at the sleep center all day, you hear me talk, and you have my other partners talk, you talk to patients. What is your pet peeve or threshold to determine maybe he or she should be evaluated for sleep apnea? What what buzzword do you need to hear in a nice way when you're at home or you're with a relative's house or outside to say, uh-oh, 
I think this is going to be someone who needs to be evaluated for sleep apnea. Uh, Chelsea, you go first. Well, that's funny that you ask because I have actually diagnosed a couple of my <laughs> fiance's friends that have slept on our couch. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, they've slept on the couch and I can hear them stop breathing in their sleep. And I've literally said, you have got to go get a sleep study because A, they're snoring and they're gasping. And in their sleep. One time we were at a party, somebody fell asleep, and Chelsea and I stood in front of them. Oh, yeah. We won't say any names. We will not. But we stood in front of them and we literally counted while he stopped breathing for like 30 seconds. Yes. Um, shout out to him though, because he got himself a CPAP. He so. did. <laughs> he did. But now I was going to say, you know, the, the take home message is 100% correct, both of you that it's not just a snoring, is it? I know that we all think about snoring and sleep apnea, but you know, the biggest risk factor are witness apneic episodes. You know, if you can see someone just says, you stop breathing, buddy. And, you know, whether it's beyond your couch, Chelsea, or in Las Vegas, Lily, you're right. Once you <laughs> see that, that, that is one of the, the biggest things. Uh, Lily, you answered the same question. What, what, what is your thing that says, you know what, I need to speak up a little bit and say, you need to get your butt tested. Is there a buzzword that you look, you look for? I think it's just the, the, um, the not breathing does it for me. Um, we talked a little bit, we joked a little bit about my husband snoring, but he actually has stopped breathing a couple of times. So, you know, I'm pushing him to get a test, but that's the biggest one for me. Cause I, I agree snoring itself is not going to, you know, doesn't diagnose sleep apnea, but the, when you, when somebody stops breathing, you know, that, well, you know, that I, oxygen. Was, I was trying to set you guys up because you, you put a bullet point here that I was hoping you'd bring up and I'm going to say it because you came up with it. I like what you wrote here that it's not normal to have excessive daytime fatigue and sleepiness. And I think that it's not normal to just feel tired all the time, you know, and I think that it's a broad statement. There are many things that factor in, but, you know, don't ever think that sleep at night is not contributing to what's happening during the day. That's huge. So I'm going to bring it up because you guys didn't mention that. And I love what you wrote on my paper. If you're tired all the time, your excessive daytime sleepiness fatigue, get evaluated, man. Yeah, absolutely. Agree? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, that's that's a key thing, and I think as people just ignore it, they think, well, I, I'm tired. I, I work full time, and yep. I have kids, and you it's know, everything else but sleep but apnea. sleep apnea. Anything, any other excuse they can find. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, and I'll tell you when I'm in my room with my patients and they say, I, you know, when I come home from work at five o'clock, I just fall asleep on the couch. I'm like, I don't think that's normal. You know, right. <laughs> right. And, and we just blow it. Like you said, we just blow it off because they tell us they're tired and we're like, okay, okay. But no, I agree. So two more questions. Uh, this one for each of you, uh, as we're wrapping up the Dr. Rod show, you know, um, what, what is your take home message, Lily, about obstructive sleep apnea, about getting tested, just in general about um, your feels about getting the right diagnosis and treatment? I think that if you're in denial about it, just get tested at least at the very least to rule it out. Because if you feel that there's something going on, if somebody has told you, hey, you know, I hear this a lot. Oh, I went camping and my girlfriend or a friend said, hey, you snore really loudly. But on top of that, like you were like choking in your sleep. It was kind of scary. So I think if anything else for me, it's like, just rule it out at the very least. And that can possibly lead to like a lot more health benefit than you may think. So do you think we should um, 
bring your uh, your husband over here and give him a freebie uh, study? Absolutely. And, and you think we could convince him that after the sleep study, we could talk about his results on the next podcast? I'm sure he would love to. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Chelsea? What's your take-home message for everyone? I, I think that if you're feeling off, if you, you know, if you've been feeling off, whether it's been for a few years, whether it's been for a few months, we have the home sleep study test now, which is so easy compared. Mm -hmm. It's so convenient compared to coming into the lab, which it, it just get tested. It, it can hurt you. You do it for a couple of days. We get the results. And I don't think there's any reason not to. Oh, I love it. And, you know, of course, I got to ask a question to build up my own ego. How much do you guys love working with me here at the Sleep Center? It's the best experience of our lives. Um, Dr. Raj is the coolest and most down to earth, actually. All joking aside, it really is a lot of fun to be able to, um, you know, come to you with questions in general when we have questions. And um, I know you said this earlier, you know, you pretty much use us to practice your questions on, but we also get a lot of benefit from that. We learn, we learn, we learn a lot. Yeah, um, we do. We learn so much from that. And we actually, I quote you actually all the time to other people and stuff that you say, and it does help us learn. Yeah. No, you wouldn't do it if it didn't, you know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, you know what? I think we're going to leave it open-ended so we could have both of you back later on in the year. So we could, uh, have some new topics, get a Lily's husband's sleep study. So are you guys came on for another Dr. Raj podcast? Absolutely. We'd love Definitely. to. All right. Thank you both for coming today. You guys for are amazing. Thank you for having us. Bye, Dr. Raj. Bye. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Brightigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.